So, uh, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Holy God and Father in heaven, we come before you today, this Lord's Day, the day that you have given to us to come together and to worship you. We ask that you help us to do so according to your word and in a way that is pleasing to you and edifying to us. May you open our ears and our eyes and our minds and our hearts and apply your word to us in such a way that we are radically transformed. Help us to leave here differently and to give you glory for doing so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anyone who is observant or who pays attention to the world around them is able to recognize that we live in a causal universe. Things do not happen by random chance. Rather, things are caused. And everything in creation has an efficient cause and a final cause. The efficient cause is that which causes something to be or to change. And the final cause is the goal or the end the reason why something exists or changes. And so if you are a Christian, that is because Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life on your behalf, and then he died a substitutionary death on the cross to atone for your sins, only to be raised to new life for your justification through your faith in him, and you have been united to Christ. And in that union, you are guaranteed preservation and final salvation. In other words, if you are a Christian, your efficient cause is Christ. And your final cause, the goal, or the end of the Christian life, is that you may glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that wonderful? The question, however is what exactly does that look like? How do we go about doing that? Well, today we are going to be reading a passage of scripture that is going to tell you how to pursue your end by following the callings that Christ has placed upon your lives. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be reading verses 16 to 20, and many of you in here know this passage as the Great Commission passage. Yet I'm asking you to take everything you know about this passage and just set it to the side. Allow God to speak through his word in a fresh way here today. By now you should have your Bibles open. Please join me as we read, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Today's message is titled, well, I see we have a problem with our slides. 
one mount. Really? No slides? Can you just turn this off? How do I do that? This one? Technical difficulties. All right. Today's message is titled, Called by Christ. And in it, we are going to see four main callings that Christ places upon the lives of his disciples. And the first one we see, we see right away. And that is that the risen Lord Jesus is calling you to worship him. The risen Lord Jesus is calling you to worship him. Notice how our text begins with the word now. In some of your translations, it may say but or then, and that is because it is a simple conjunction meant to create a contrast between those who were trying to cover up the resurrection just before our text and those who were going to see the risen Lord Jesus in our text. And it says that there were 11 disciples. Originally, there were 12 disciples. And this number, 12, was originally used back in chapter 10 to display a transition that was taking place. As the authority was being taken from the false shepherds of Israel, those who were the physical descendants of Abraham, from the 12 tribes of Israel, and it was being transitioned to the spiritual descendants of Abraham, represented by the 12 apostles. And one of those apostles was Judas. And we know that Judas was not predestined to salvation, but rather he was predestined to destruction, as it says in John 17, 12. So at this point, there were only 11 disciples, and they were in Galilee. Galilee was up north in Israel. It was up north in Galilee where Jesus first announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand and began his public ministry. It was up north where Jesus announced that he will build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And it was from that point in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus began to descend south into Jerusalem in order to suffer and die on the cross for the sake of our sins and then to be raised to life for our justification through our faith in him. And now things have come full circle and he is back up in Galilee and he is bringing his disciples to a mountain as it says that Jesus designated the spot. Why was Jesus bringing them to this mountain? Jesus was summoning them there for a commencement. If any of you have went to college or to seminary here in North America, you are most likely familiar with the concept of a graduation being called a commencement, where there is even a commencement speech. And that is because it is at this point that your mission begins. You have studied, you have been tested, and you have been trained. And now you are being sent out into the world to impact it with all of this learning, all of this training, all of this discipleship. And even before the disciples get there to the commencement, we see that they, just like us, are called to worship Christ. As it says in the beginning of 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. 
If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you too are called to worship him even before you receive a commission. And that means that whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever, or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. And that also means that you are to commit to a local assembly such as this one to gather corporately and to offer Christ worship. But let us not neglect the latter portion of this verse that says, but some doubted. There are two ways that we can take this. We can either go to the beginning of the next verse and see where it says that Jesus came up to them and try to argue that Jesus was far away from them at this point and some of them weren't sure if it was him and so they hesitated. Or we can recognize here that that doesn't make much sense because it was Jesus who was bringing them there in the first place. Everybody knew they were going to see Jesus. Instead, it is better for us to see here that even after all that they had learned, even after all that they had been eyewitnesses to, some still doubted. And this tells us something. It tells us that even though you have been forgiven for your sins in Christ, even though you have been declared righteous before God through your faith in him, your sinful nature still remains. Only a sinner could hesitate before bowing the knee to Jesus. Only a sinner could find themselves unsure what to do in the presence of God. We are all still sinners in need of grace. And we are told in Hebrews 4.16 to come boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need to receive that grace and mercy. So may we all do that now. While they were there on the mountain worshiping their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he called them, just like us, to his authority. As the risen Lord Jesus is calling you to his authority. The risen Lord Jesus is calling you to his authority. Take a look at verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This verse is really easy to just gloss over. Perhaps many of us do not stop to contemplate all that is really in here. But throughout the Gospel of Matthew, one of the main themes is Jesus as the Son of Man. And this title, the Son of Man is actually Jesus' favorite title for himself throughout the entire Gospel of Matthew. And this is coming from Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, just listen to what it says in verses 13 and 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." 
in Daniel, we know, well, we know that all within 40 days of the resurrection, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. And in Daniel, the Father is represented by the Ancient of Days, and Jesus is the Son of Man. And we see how he's given authority and a kingdom. And at this point in our narrative today, Jesus has already accomplished everything the Father had sent him to do. Through his incarnation, his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, Jesus had inaugurated his kingdom on earth. He had saved all those the Father gave him, and he had taken on the form of man, and now he is being given all authority in the heavens and the earth over all of creation, and you and I are to submit to him. And that means that you do not live for yourself, but as a bondservant of Jesus Christ who has purchased you through his blood on the cross. That means that we take up our cross and we follow Jesus daily. And when you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you get to see amazing things happen. Yet do not be mistaken. God also inspired the Apostle Paul to tell us that anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted because Christianity is countercultural, and the sick and sinful world around us will continue to be oppressive, even if only in subtle ways. Just think about the universities here in North America, for example, that always cry out for tolerance and inclusion at the exclusion and even persecution of Christians. The postmodern world argues that we need to not only accept them, but affirm them in their sin and idolatry because truth is relative. Yet then they turn around and try to tell us that what we believe is wrong. The world hates truth. And Jesus is the truth. The world hates Jesus, and they suppress the knowledge of God in their sin and idolatry, but we embrace it. We love the truth because we love God. And Jesus prayed for you, brethren. In John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So may the Bible be your guide, and so much more as you seek to live under the authority of Jesus. Naturally flowing from the spiritual worship of Jesus and submission to his authority comes our participation. As the risen Lord Jesus is also calling you to participate. The risen Lord Jesus is calling you to participate. Take a look at verse 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here is a verse that I am almost certain that every single one of us in here has heard before. Some of you in here have probably heard multiple versions of it. And some of you in here have probably even heard multiple interpretations of it. And while I'm not going to sit up here and read the Greek to you, I am going to explain the construction of this verse because it makes a difference. And what you need to know is that there is a difference between a participle and an imperative. 
A participle is a verb that acts as a noun. So if you take this message, for example, it is about a calling that is placed upon your life. That word calling is a verb that acts as a noun. It is a participle. And an imperative is a directive. It is a command. And in this verse, the imperative, the directive, the command is make disciples. And the word go is a participle. And so you will hear people try to tell you that this verse should be translated something more along the lines of as you go or as you are going, make disciples, and they would be mistaken. Because any time we have a participle in the Koine Greek connected to an imperative in this fashion, it takes on the force of the imperative. So while the word go is not a command in and of itself, it is a directive that requires an active response. In other words, Jesus was not telling the church to be passive about making disciples. As if to say, well, you know, uh, as you go about, just uh, go ahead and uh, make some disciples. No, he was telling them to go and make disciples. In fact, he was telling them to go out and make disciples as he qualifies it of all nations. And here is another word that tends to be exploited in the contemporary church. The word translated here is nations. Anytime we see it in the New Testament in the singular, it's translated as Gentile. And anytime we see it in the plural, it's translated as nations. And that is because it is a word that simply means those outside of national Israel. So in our text, they were being told to go out of Israel and make disciples of the rest of the world. And we are being told to go out of the church and make disciples of people not like us. And what is a disciple? Well, in this context, a disciple is one who is called by Christ, one who worships Christ, one who submits to Christ's authority, and one who participates in God. And how do we make disciples? Well, our text goes on to give us two more participles that act as the means by which we are to make the disciples. And the first one we see is baptizing. Baptizing did not need to be explained here in our text because it was commonplace among the disciples. When somebody would come to faith, they would be baptized and added to the gathering of God's people. And so this is telling us that we need to go out and initiate people into the gathering of our fellowship. However, it is also telling us so much more. Because baptism is a symbol of our union with Christ. As we go down in the water, we're dead and buried with Christ. As we come out of the water, it represents our new life in Christ. And so this is also telling us that we need to go out and preach the gospel. Because it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. In fact, the gospel you preach has the power to raise the dead. As spiritually dead people come to life through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are to do this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, that word name is in the singular, which means Father, Son, and Spirit are all the same name. As this is a Trinitarian formula. And anytime we talk about making disciples, we are talking about salvation. 
And salvation is a Trinitarian act of God in recreation, which we will get to in a minute. But the next participle we see is in the beginning of 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Listen, it is not enough to go out and initiate people into the gathering of our fellowship. It is not enough to go out, preach the gospel, see people come to faith, and baptize them into the local church. We must also teach them everything Christ commanded so that they too may participate in God through the Great Commission in their obedience. And the beauty here is that we don't have to do this alone. As the risen Lord Jesus is calling you to acknowledge his sovereign, preserving presence. The risen Lord Jesus is calling you to acknowledge his sovereign, preserving presence. Take a look at the end of 20. It says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are in the very last verse of Matthew's gospel. And in order for you to fully grasp everything that we are seeing here, we actually have to go back to the very first verse of Matthew's gospel. So if you will, flip with me back to Matthew 1.1. Just go back to the very beginning of Matthew. Matthew 1.1. Here in the ESV, this is how it reads. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That word being translated as genealogy here is not being translated as genealogy because that's what the word normally means. Because it's not. Actually, scholars tend to translate it that way because they recognize a genealogy that begins in verse 2. However, the word being translated there as genealogy in the Greek is actually the word Genesis. And the original hearers and readers of Matthew's gospel in the Greek would have instantly been taken back to the book of Genesis. And how does Genesis start off? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so in the first three verses of the book of Genesis, we get to see how creation is a Trinitarian act of God, as God, his word, and his Spirit were all involved in creation. And in Matthew 1.1, the Greek can be translated into English as the book of Genesis by Jesus, as he is authoring a new creation through salvation. And so when we get to our verse all the way at the end of Matthew's gospel, what he is really saying is that just as Jesus was there in the beginning, 
And all things were created through him and for him and to him. And all things are upheld by him. As it says in the beginning of Hebrews, the prologue of John and in Colossians, just as he was there in the beginning, he is here with us now. And just as he is here with us now, he will be there in the end. And because Jesus is here with us now, you do not need to do things in your own strength. As you are to look to Jesus and submit to him. Because Jesus is here with us now, you do not need to fear failure because you are guaranteed success. And I mean success defined by God, not the culture. But you are guaranteed success so long as you submit to Christ's authority and do everything according to the word and you are willing to go. Because Jesus is here with us now, you are assured preservation and promised power. We talked in the beginning about how in our union with Christ we are guaranteed preservation and final salvation. And that is because it is not you who is trying to hold on to Jesus, but Jesus who has grabbed hold of you. And neither life nor death nor anything else can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so long as you submit yourself to his authority, do things according to the word, and you are willing to go, you are guaranteed to see Christ's power manifested both in you and through you. Because it's not you that's doing anything, but Christ who is doing it through you. This is wonderful news. But it also comes with a warning. And here's the warning. Because Jesus is here with us now, you do not have an excuse not to be actively playing your part in the Great Commission. Because Jesus is here with us now, you do not have an excuse not to be actively playing your role in making disciples of all nations. And that might look different for everybody. I myself have been given an ability to teach and to preach and do apologetics. And I use that in order to develop public apologetic forums where we can discuss theology and preach the gospel. I teach non-believers the Bible. I also am able to train the church. But my wife, for example, she's been given the gifts of mercy and of service, and so she's able to teach English as a second language while pointing women to Jesus. Or she's able to help refugees while pointing them to Jesus. Perhaps you have simply been given finances and a generous heart, and, and maybe your role may be to support missions financially. Perhaps you have been made a prayer warrior. Well, maybe your role is to pray for missions. In any event, if you are truly born again, then you have been given spiritual gifts to contribute to the body of Christ. And that means that you will not only contribute to the life of the church, but also to the Great Commission. Here is the question. How are you supposed to make disciples 
and teach them to obey everything Christ commanded. If you yourself are not being obedient to the calling and command of Christ. That question is not meant to shame anybody. But if you are feeling convicted today, good. That's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) This passage should not be discouraging to anybody, but encouraging to everybody. Because Jesus is here with us now. You have been empowered by his presence to make a difference. You have been empowered to make a difference here in the church. You have been empowered to make a difference at home among your family. You have been empowered to make a difference at work among your colleagues. You have been empowered to make a difference at school among faculty and students. You have been empowered to make a difference out in society. You have been empowered to make a difference among believers in the kingdom of God. And you have been empowered to make a difference among the lost. And so while you follow Christ and you worship Christ and you submit to Christ's authority and you participate in God through the Great Commission while acknowledging Jesus' sovereign preserving presence, this is how you glorify God and enjoy him forever. So may you do that now and may we do that collectively moving forward. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled to know that you have chosen us and given us salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the life that you have given us and for the darkness that you have ripped us out of. Help us to live holy and blameless lives to give you glory. Help us to follow you. Help us to worship you. Help us and to, to do your will and not our own by submitting ourselves to your authority. Help us to participate in you through the Great Commission. And please help us to always remember your presence here and to live knowing that you are right here with us. May we be changed by this knowledge. May we be transformed by your word. And may you get the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.